Hey, hey, good people. I'm Adrian J. Woods, and welcome to Ceasefire Convos. If you're a thinker, have questions that need answers, or just a knack for the unspeakable, then you're in the right place. We're confronting taboos, dispelling myths, and healing from tropes. So grab some water and let's get into it. On this episode of Ceasefire Convos, we are exposing the ugly underbelly that drives Instagram and other image-heavy social media sites. Pretty privilege. Yep, you heard it right. So before you get ready to fire the shots, this convo is not designed to make anyone feel bad for their appearance or even question their success. However, comma, it is a taboo topic and that's what we're here for. Look, I know you're triggered, but put down those weapons and cease fire. All right, so let's get right down to the nitty gritty. As you all know, I like to always start with a few definitions. Um, So the topic of our podcast today is pretty privileged. We will also get into... um, discussing beauty bias, which is very similar to pretty privilege, the halo effect, and finally colorism and how all of those things fit together in our lives. So let me give you the definitions very quickly. So pretty privilege operates on the principle that people who are more conventionally attractive based on societal beauty standards have more advantages and opportunities compared to people who are deemed less attractive. I got that definition from Kendall O'Brien, who writes for the Daily Free Press. Um, Here's a working definition for beauty bias. Beauty bias or lookism, which is a totally new word for me. I've never heard of that. Um, is less well-known but has significant impacts on employees in a workplace. It involves the way in which people are perceived by others as a result of their level of physical attractiveness. So very similar to pretty privilege, but it's a specific type of pretty privilege that speaks more to how it affects us in the workplace. Um, Next, we have the halo effect which is a type of cognitive bias in which our perception of someone is positively influenced by our opinions of that person's traits, such as physical appearance. And we see examples of this throughout society. I'm going to actually talk about some examples later on in the episode. And the very last one is colorism, which is very simply put, discrimination based on someone's skin tone. This can happen within a racial group or among multiple racial groups. But the discrimination is usually based on whatever the societal norm of beauty standards are. Um, So we'll get into that and what that looks like um, on a broad range and how that relates back to pretty privilege. So keep listening. All right, so let's get started. Uh, On the shallow end, people with, with pretty privilege may have experienced things like free drinks at the bar or, um, discounts at different stores or people opening doors for them or free services, you know, um, things of that nature, or even (laughs) to the extreme, you know, lowered interest rates on certain uh, high, high price purchases just because of how they look, right? The person who is offering these services to them uh, obviously finds them attractive. Um, 
is usually tied to societal norms. And so if we want to talk about uh, what the societal beauty standards are, we can get into that. So let before before I go too far in, I want to make sure that I mention that um, societal beauty standards. I, I Googled, <laughs> I did a Google search for beautiful women. And in my Google search, it pulled up pictures of, not surprisingly, um, lots of white women. Lots of white women. Um, but it, it's a little different than, I, I believe, a few years back, if I would have Googled this, it still would have been white women, but the, even the white women would have looked different. So now our beauty standard, according to my Google search, um, is basically Eurocentric, still Eurocentric beauty standards, but beautiful seems to be defined as slightly tanned, white, but slightly tanned, brunette or a very natural blonde, meaning a blonde that's a little darker, um, you know, like not platinum blonde, but I, I, I like to call it a dirty blonde, um, very svelte, thin, or a fit body, but not too fit, still soft looking, pouty lips, round eyes, a thin nose, right? So all of those things popped up immediately first. Now I will say in my Google search, there were about three pictures of women who were non-white. They were all, um, I won't say African-American. I, I don't want to assume their, assume their ethnicity or their, um, their particular race, but they were non-black. Um, and, but they all had a touch of what most would consider exotic. So still very small framed, racially ambiguous features. If their hair was natural, the curl was edging towards wavy and not kinky curly, um, light eyes, etc. This is what Google says beautiful is. And I'll go, I'll re revisit that Google search when we get into colorism, but back to pretty privilege. So yeah, it, that type of privilege, right? That type of beauty, according to the mainstream beauty standards, which is an operant of white supremacy, of course, um, is what allows people to, to achieve or to experience certain experiences that that those who are not deemed as attractive would not necessarily experience. Um, the, on the opposite end of pretty privilege, we have, and this is a very strong word, but this is what it is, the dehumanization of the unattractive who are often overlooked, passed by, not taken seriously, seen as nefarious or dangerous, especially when we talk about the politics of skin color, um, more likely to be arrested and charged um, and found guilty in a court case and more likely to have a guilty sentence in the court court of law. Um, and let's revisit that word unattractive, right? Because there's a lot that goes into that. We could even talk about ableism in this, right? How handicapped people are not usually seen as attractive. If you are in a wheelchair or have some type of prosthesis, you know, that is not what America looks at and says is beautiful or attractive. And so likely, these are also people who are falling into this category of not so attractive and not reaping the benefits that other people reap when they are classified as attractive. So just to clear that up, and this is not me saying that I believe or buy into this. I need you to hear me clearly. This is me saying that this exists 
and I, I need <laughs> this exists in a very real way. And we we actually inadvertently raise our children to participate in these systems. So imagine if you knew about these systems before you had children or while your children were small and, and you did not want them to grow up with these types of biases, you would be able to now and in a very informed way say, hey, my love, you know, all of these things can be considered beautiful. And you would on purpose put representations of different types of people in front of your kids to emphasize that beauty is different for different people. Um, but that's a different talk for another day, for another day. So uh, let's get right into beauty bias because pretty privilege in the workplace is coined as beauty bias and, you know, uh, unfairly uh, unfair promotions or um, access to certain things in the in the workplace definitely go back to one's privilege of being attractive. So it's true that beauty often is um, subjective, right? The things that I find beautiful as a black woman may not be beautiful to someone else, but how pervasive is my opinion in, in being able to affect wide scale changes in the workplace or in a larger organization? Not likely, not likely. Um, so uh, there, there is an extent to which people generally agree on the approximate level of beauty in a person. And this is this is what makes attractiveness not entirely subjective. We have grown up in a society. So if you're listening and you are American, we've grown up in an American society where we've been put these these images in front of us all the time of quote unquote beautiful people. Um, in my era, it was definitely Halle Berry was the most beautiful black woman, um, which obviously left out a whole group of black women who did not look like Halle Berry, who didn't have hair like her, a skin like her, a nose like her, or lips like her. Um, and so it's not that people are saying that you are unattractive if you don't have these things, but it's the subliminal messages of this is what attractiveness is. And so you come to that conclusion on your own, right? Um, in growing up and looking in the mirror and, you know, comparison being the thief of joy, but definitely comparing yourself to these things that you see on TV, fast forward to 2022, social media, right? Looking on Instagram and looking looking at the, the beauty gurus and things of that nature. There's lots of diversity now with beauty gurus, but I can remember when YouTube and, and um, Instagram and these things kind of first started, most of the beauty gurus and people who had these platforms were, were largely white. And then when black people did kind of come on the scene, they were largely lighter skinned blacks um, where the algorithm kind of pushed that more so than what we have now with some of the more darker skinned black women, some of the heavy set women that are on there, some of the Latina women or women who have disabilities or well, uh, well different abilities. I want to make sure that I'm saying that correctly. And I still don't know if I said it right. So make sure that you communicate with me and let me know how I'm supposed to say that. But, you know, even with all of that variety, LGBTQIA+, um, you know, now we have that variety, but the ones definitely being pushed in the front, you know, overwhelmingly still are these white women who who fit this standard of beauty that that is so pervasive to the point where if you type in beautiful woman on Google, this is what you're gonna find. Okay, so um, fast forwarding to the halo effect, right? And the halo effect, as I mentioned before, is a type of cognitive bias in which when we look at someone and our perception of that person, 
is positively influenced by our opinions of that person's traits. And it's usually physical appearance. So this reminded me actually of an experiment that was done with dolls um, back in the 1940s by two psychologists, Kenneth and Mamie Clark. And they designed and conducted a series of experiments known as the doll test. I think most of us have seen videos of this um, on social media and in YouTube where there are children about ages three to seven and they're in a room with someone and they ask them about these different dolls and the dolls are, you know, different shades. Um, there are some white dolls and some black dolls. Um, and overwhelmingly, when they're asked, you know, which doll is the pretty doll, they point to the white one. Which doll do you want the most? They point to the white one. Uh, which one is the good doll? They point to the white doll. Which one is the bad doll? They point to the black doll. So um, this is the experiment that was done. And it was done to study the psychological effects of segregation on African-American children. So this was before we were even really steeped in talking about colorism or pretty privilege or any of those things. This this, this right here um, was just attaching traits to one skin color or another based on their perception of goodness or what is bad and what they had witnessed, you know, in their lives in the short time. Again, these children were from three to seven years old. Um, so doctors Clark, uh, Dr. Clark used four dolls, identical except for color to test children's racial perceptions. A majority of the children preferred the white doll and assigned positive characteristics to it. And when asked about their dislike of the black doll, they ascribe, they ascribe negative comments and characteristics. And so it, and this was done in the 1940s, you guys. So if you can imagine, you know, beyond the 1940s, before the 1940s and up until now, we are still um, we, we still are in this wave of white supremacist thought of what beauty is. Um, and it's very evident. It's very evident when you look in the TV and you see the commercials or when you see things on social media or how things are even marketed now. And um, I, I want to, oh my goodness, I definitely want to um, add the caveat of super blackness or an acceptable type of blackness. And we'll get into that momentarily. But that also exists, right? You are, you are, you can be beautiful and black, but only if you're this type of black. And so we're, we're going to definitely hit that in just a second. But um, so thinking about that doll experiment, my understanding of pretty privilege, the halo effect, um, beauty bias, all of those things exist in the American society. Um, and, and we see it being very pervasive in the form of colorism, right? Um, it's skin color and skin tone being the basis of one's beauty. Um, we see that a lot in American media and I'm, I'm sticking to American media. I have not been overseas in quite some time. I have not studied what goes on in the beauty market outside of America. So this, you know, podcast is definitely leaning towards black American experience. Again, if you have an experience that you would like to contribute to this episode or you want to chime in, the comments are always open. You can always video chat me and um, share your story. And I will definitely record it and put it out there on the airwaves for others to hear. All right. So um, all of this is leading me to a related and perhaps more poignant discussion of a facet of pretty privilege, which I've already announced as colorism. And that's different 
but it's but it's not not really it's not um both of these supposedly unconscious biases are steeped in white supremacist ideals of beauty the dominant culture dictates the beauty standard period like this this is what we know we see this as advertised on tv social media and then coming to life in front of us in the workplace at church at school pretty much everywhere and according to this pervasive eurocentric beauty standards Beautiful is, again, as I described earlier, slightly tanned skin, brunette or natural blonde, svelte, pouty lips, round eyes, thin nose. And um, again, the black women who were included in this Google search were racially ambiguous. And those who were not racially ambiguous appeared to be exotic. Um, and that's where I mentioned the, the super black, the, the blackening of certain models in these um in these fashion editorials, right? Um, in order for them to be beautiful and dark skin, they have to be almost ink black. And we find that photographers use editing software to darken the skin of already dark models to give them an almost an alien appearance, um, appearance to 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 say that you know on this this type of black is beautiful, but uh, you know regular black not so much, um, which is very troubling. It's on, on the opposite and it's very, very troubling because it's a fetishizing, a fetish, a fetish, a fetishizing, sorry, a fetishizing of black skin. Um, so yeah, it, it kind of, it signals that this type of black is beautiful, like racially ambiguous black is beautiful or super, super, super Sudan, Sudanese black is beautiful, um, but not just regular black American girl is is beautiful you know what i mean uh Lupi, oddly enough there were images of lupita nyong'o in that google search and i do believe it's because she's definitely a cult favorite in the u.s right now um she does have a movie coming out soon and so that could have been the reason why her images were included in that i'm not saying she's not beautiful but i'm just looking at um the analytics of it all because I, I just don't remember a time ever outside of when Black Panther came out that I would type in beautiful woman on Google and see Lupita Nyong'o's face anywhere in that search. And she is absolutely gorgeous to me, um, to me as a black woman, but she does not fit the European beauty standards. She actually is the antithesis of the U European beauty standards, right? She has the thinness going for her. Um, and, but she does not have the, the smaller facial features. Um, she's not super, super, super black, right? So there, there's no exoticism there. I will say though, but because she is so thin and um, she's not super duper curvy, I will say that masculinized black women are pushed towards that, that um, exotic, ambiguous, super black, model of being beautiful right that that odd type of black beauty but i don't feel like she totally fits that um like i said i think that her image likely popped up because she has a movie coming out um very soon i think i think it's her um but anyhow uh so yeah this this overlap um of colorism and pretty privilege is it just it plays out on such a large scale and I, excuse me if i seem like i'm lost for words because it is a bit convoluted um there's no secret that lighter skinned blacks have been preferred 
for decades, even before we had mass media, right? We can go back to the house Negro on the field Negro and um, mulattoes being preferred over, you know, blacks who had not mixed with whites. It, it's definitely not a right now thing. This is something that has been happening. Even when Europeans went into Rwanda and they pitted the Hutu and the Tutsi against each other, it was more so on the basis of height and skin color that they were able to do that. The same type of thing happened in Nigeria with the separating of the tribes. They were already separated, but there was an, an, an emphasis on one tribe being better than the other because of skin color. We see this in colonized nations all the time. Dominican Republic and Haiti, right? They're on the same island. They're on Hispaniola together. White colonists came in, hey, these darker skinned ones, you guys should be subjected to these lighter skinned ones. Lighter skinned ones, you should be dominant over this group. And that's pretty much how that went. Um, and I know I'm oversimplifying it, but that's pretty much how that went. Because prior to them arriving to the island, I'm not going to say everybody was happily coexisting, but definitely there was not this huge emphasis on skin tone being related to power and privilege until white people stepped on the scene. So I think it's very important and pertinent for us to acknowledge that and acknowledge that all of these isms and all of these privileges, pretty privilege, um, beauty bias, the halo effect, colorism, all of these things are tools of white supremacy to separate black people into smaller groups so that we can continue to fight against each other. That's a problem. It's problematic. So the, the purpose of this episode is to one, shine the light on it to let you know that, hey, this stuff still exists and we see it. It's happening. I mean, I did not get into texturism in this episode or featureism, which is very big in the black community. It's also very big in the Hispanic community where um, those with curlier hair are not <laughs> not as loved on as those who have the straighter or the wavier hair. Those with larger, more Africanoid features are kind of pushed to the side um, and not as preferred as, as those who have the smaller, daintier features, the smaller noses or the smaller lips or cheekbones that are, you know, high, but not as full, you know, things of things of that nature. This stuff exists and it, it, it perpetuates in our, in our black neighborhoods because we have bought in to these European beauty standards. Um, so before you start claiming that I'm negating uh, anybody's accomplishments by ascribing their success to color of skin, because we do know that there are lots of successful music artists and, um, and politicians even who exist in these offices, especially women who exist in these offices and they're very light skinned and not, not that their skin negates their accomplishments. You can be whoever you want to be, regardless of your skin tone. But what I am saying in a white supremacist America, these types of black people are often preferred over darker skinned black people. And they tend to get the opportunities regardless of their ability or skill level. Um, it just so happens that Beyonce is an amazing singer and Mariah Carey is who she is. And Josephine Baker was a was a just a stand up entertainer. You know, that's, so that's not taking any of their accomplishments away, but I, it's just an acknowledgement that these people and people like them who are amazingly gifted and also light skinned <laughs> would likely have had to fight a little harder to be where they are now if they were darker hued. And I, I think that most people can agree with that. You know, I don't need the beehive coming for me. I don't really care because I said what I said. It is what it is. But, um, I think a lot of times 
we don't want to acknowledge that as black folks because it feels like you're saying that these people wouldn't be um that that they're only successful because they're light-skinned. That's not what I'm saying. I am saying though that there were certain doors available to them to even be open because they are considered attractive by the mainstream. Right? We're talking about European beauty standards. We're talking about the mainstream. Black people are not the mainstream. Stop it. <laughs> okay. The people who run this country, white Americans, are the mainstream. And if you are preferred by the mainstream, then you get certain opportunities, period, point blank. It is what it is. That's just that's just where we are. And it sucks to be there, but I need you to understand that this is what I'm talking about before you try and come to me in the comments. Um, but they're brilliant in their lanes. But this this universal beauty definitely has opened these doors for these young ladies that have otherwise they would have had to bulldoze like the rest of us dark skin folks out here. Okay. So what I'm saying all of this, cause I'm going to hop off of that really quick. I don't want this episode to be egregiously long because I have taken a while to record one and I don't want you to not come back. <laughs> but, um, so in saying all of this, right. So we've acknowledged the problem. We know what it is. We know how we see it. Um, it's the lack of representation of little black girls in storybooks. It's the lack of representation of black folks in history, period. Um, other than those who are preferred. It's, it's you know, it's, it's all of those things that come together as one to to kind of say. And I want to stick, you know, with the narrative of black women specifically to say to black women, you are not good enough unless you are these check boxes. So how do we deal with that? So what? So all of this informs the way that we show up or not in this particular society where we live right now in 2022. What we choose to wear, our hairstyles. Oh my gosh, I got a whole story about this. Um, this That's huge, but I won't get into it today. Makeup, how we speak, how we walk, how we hold our bodies when we're sitting or having conversations, especially with people who are not of our community. This is everything. Just a brief story time. I was getting ready for a job interview and I literally had a panic attack in the Target because I gotta find something to wear. I was with a girlfriend of mine um, at the mall and we were, I can't remember what store we were in, I don't know, Coles, JCPenney, some department store like that. And I was looking, I said, oh my gosh, I really like this dress. Oh, I really like this outfit. And in my mind, I was like totally deconstructing this outfit. If you haven't seen my picture, I am very dark skinned. I do have natural hair. I love wearing my hair big. Um, that's just who I am. I just, I love it. But I was saying to myself in the store, I cannot wear this bright color because dark skinned women who wear bright colors are seen as overly confident. And if I know I'm interviewing in a, in a, you know, for a panel of very conservative, conservative minded, not necessarily conservative because these, these people were politically liberal, but when you talk about being conservative in a way of how you accept people in their own skin. Right. Um, so if I'm, if I'm going in front of, you know, a group of the other, then I need to be careful about the colors that I choose to wear because it could come off as, oh, she's overconfident, right? And dark-skinned Black women already have a bad rap of being too loud or, you know, too know-it-all. And so I had to, like, really think hard about what I was going to wear to this interview because I didn't want to communicate non-verbally a certain thing about myself 
um, to people who don't who don't get it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, so I ended up wearing some, you know, some khakis and a nice white top and very dainty jewelry and, you know, wearing my hair out. But um, but not in its quote unquote natural state. I did blow it out and, um, you know, wear it that way. And I was so conflicted. I was so very conflicted about how I was supposed to show up in that space um, and what that meant if I conceded to altering my myself and what I felt was beautiful for me to show up in this space to conform, so to speak. Um, so this does affect us. And it is for, for those of us who are aware of what we're doing, it's not subconscious. I am very aware of why I choose the outfits that I choose when I go to certain places or why I wear my hair a certain way when I go to certain places. I'm extremely aware um, because sometimes in life, you just got to play the game. It just is what it is. When you work in an office, sometimes you got to play the game and it sucks, um, but it is what it is. You know what I mean? So, you know, saying all that to say, um, saying all of that to say that this is this is not something that we should be taking lightly especially if we're trying to reverse all of this for generations to come and we don't want our children to carry this burden of overthinking their every step and and how they're supposed to show up in the world and what they're supposed to look like and what is presentable and what is acceptable and who makes these you know respectability politics anyway um so as a woman we get it from all directions. We get it from other black women, um, women of other races. We get it from black men. We get it from men of other races. We, we just get it from everywhere. We are bombarded. We are constantly bombarded with these standards of beauty. And I can't speak on this concerning men for obvious reasons. I'm not a man. I don't live in their world. And I would have loved to have, you know, a man to speak on this topic. Maybe in the future I will, but I don't want to speak on that because I don't, know what they go through every day concerning um, beauty standards and, and attractiveness and things of that nature. Um, so it's a daily effort, right? To affirm and reaffirm your singular brand of beauty so that you don't get swallowed up in the voices of the masses who will say you are not for one reason or another. Emphasis on your singular brand of beauty, your singular brand of beauty, what you feel is beautiful for you every single day. And I think that's the most important thing to kind of hold ourselves on and hold ourselves up to so that we're not constantly comparing ourselves to what we see um, on the media, right? Um, that it's okay to be yourself. It's okay, honey. It's okay to rock your wig or your weave, however you want to do it. If you want to rock your natural hair, your locks, your braids, your bald head, you know, your, your short blonde TWA, however you want to wear your hair is fine. It's your singular brand of beauty. Whatever clothing style you want to wear, if you like to wear bright colors or if you like to live in the land of neutrals, that is your singular brand of beauty. And it does not have to be the same every day and all the time. You have the variety. We, well, black women are blessed with being able to do whatever we want to do. Everything look good on our skin. All hairstyles pretty much look good on most of us. Like we can rock anything and look amazing. So emphasis on your singular brand of beauty for real. 
Um, so I've come up with a little short list of how we can combat this pretty privilege and these uh, overwhelming ideas that we have to fit into this box or this mold of European beauty standards, which we don't, um, and name ourselves beautiful for ourselves. Like we don't have to wait on somebody else to call us beautiful. We can do this for ourselves. So number one, create a morning wake up and evening wind down routine that involves journaling, affirmations, meditation, or some kind of self-talk. Um, I talk to myself a lot, <laughs> but uh, that's not always my morning or my evening routine, right? So yes, what you say in your head counts, ladies. So find a way to silence the negative before you even start your day. Um, pray, quote scripture, verbally affirm yourself as beautiful. Listen to a positive podcast while getting ready. Turn your music all the way up and dance. Whatever you have to do to feel the beauty from inside out. Uh, two, eat to live. Uh-huh. Certain foods have a way of triggering the release of hormones in our bodies that affect our mental state. They can make us happy. They can make us sad or anxious. So be careful about the foods that you eat, especially first thing in the morning. So, for example, replace some of those heavy carbs and dairy in the morning with fresh fruits, a smoothie, um, some protein, or even veggies. I'm big on eating vegetables for breakfast. You can catch me eating steamed veggies for breakfast pretty much two, three days out of the week if it's not a smoothie. Um, don't start the day stressing your body out with the burden of digesting a heavy meal. Keep it light. You're on your way to work. You don't want to be tired and sleepy when you get there. Just do something light and refreshing that's going to keep you energized up until you get to lunch. Um, and of course, drink some water. Like your feet hit the ground, drink some water. Um, Exercise. And no, this is not a list for losing weight, but exercise releases endorphins and you feel amazing after the workout, after you kind of get over the pain, right? Those endorphins make you feel really good and you feel very proud of yourself. And I think I feel the most beautiful after I've gone for a hike or after I've had a really good workout in the gym and I'm really proud of myself. I'm like, yeah, I, I did that. I look good. I'm great. You know, um, but be good to your body and you'll feel beautiful all over, regardless of a so-called beauty standard. Um, and the very last one, do what works for you. Baby, wear that red lipstick, wear your heavy wing liner, do all of that. Wear your nails long and acrylic, do all of that, whatever you wanna do, do what works for you and stop beating yourself up because you can't wear the latest trend. Start your own trend, be your own trend. Let people follow you, be a trendsetter, right? Stop trying to fit into the box. Um, you simply just don't have to look like everyone else or anyone else but yourself. Play up your best features for, I, I love my eyes. I'm always going to have an eyeliner on because I love my eyes and it draws attention to my eyes. My brows are always going to be snatched because it draws attention to my eyes and I love my eyes. I love my lips. So I may not always wear a colored lipstick, but I'm always going to have on a nice, you know, lip treatment, some type of gloss or really pretty nude um, matte lipstick that looks really good with my lips. 
Um, because those are the things that I like about my face, right? I have my nose pierced because I, it took me a long time to really love my nose, but <laughs> in piercing my nose, I learned to love my nose. So I've learned to love the features of my face where I didn't always, I did not always, I did not always love and appreciate my pink lips because I used to get picked on in school for it. But I love the way my lipstick looks because I have such a neutral palette on my lips that it, every, every color looks good on me. Right. Um, even in my clothes, like I just I pick the features that I love the best about myself and I tend to purchase clothes that look good on those features of myself. I've created my own style. I've created my own brand. I am my own brand. So I, I you know, everything I wear is something that I feel like looks great on me. OK. Um, but yeah, start your own trend. You don't have to look like everybody else. Play up your best features. Experiment with your hair. I am the queen of that. Um, try a new nail color. Oh my goodness. It's nothing like going to the nail salon and trying a color that you would have never tried before. And it looks amazing on your skin. Yes. Try a new nail color. Um, get a new piercing. I'm all for body modifications or some new body art. Or go to a funky boutique. That is like my absolute favorite thing to do. Like find a boutique that sells stuff that you don't see anywhere else and just, you know, curate those custom pieces for yourself so that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt. Like this, this is unique to me and your uniqueness is what fuels your ability to see yourself as beautiful. Um, there are enough clothes out there. We don't need any more clones. The world needs a you. So let's work on you being you. So at the end of the day, we know that these biases exist. We know that it affects us in one way or another. We know that sometimes those <clears throat> effects are not favorable. However, you get to write your own story. One no does not equate to all no's. People can tell you no all day long. You only need one yes. You only need one yes. And if you are benefiting from pretty privilege or colorism, consider using your privilege to uplift those who are not able to get through the doors <clears throat> that have been opened for you. What we are not allowed to do is infight or self-loathe over yet another white supremacist construct. We're not allowed to take that on for ourselves. It doesn't belong to us. We need to give it back to the people it belongs to and move on.com. We are better than that. And we're better together. Definitely. You're better than that. So put that weapon down, ladies. Stay moisturized, hydrated, mind your business and cease fire. Love you. That's it for this episode of Ceasefire Combos. I hope it stimulated some divergent thinking and offered a soft place to land for those who want to invite change. Be sure to follow me on Spotify and Instagram at Adrian J. Woods for updates and details. Until next time, 